Genesis 37, verse number 31. A little bit of the story of Joseph, and uh, it has a lot to do with our ability to overcome. So they took Joseph. These are his own flesh and blood brothers. They took Joseph's tunic, killed a a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Well, Father, we're humbled by your word always. So therefore, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. may be seated. We're thankful for our pastors in multiple ways. And I want to say this. Uh, those, of, those among us that have their spouses, uh, have a spouse and... Uh, you're blessed. Church, you're blessed. The team of husband and wives and the spouses that work behind the scenes so diligently, we are blessed. Amen. Just, I just needed to be sure that we did not overlook the team members we have working with us. Amen? Now, there, in this passage, it tells us a few things. There are some who are less than overcomers. They are what we call undergoers. They're always undergoing some dilemma, some drama in their lives. God wills for us to become overcomers. Chapter 39, verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. None of the men of the house was inside. And she, that's Potiphar's wife, caught him by the garment and said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. In chapter 41, verse 41, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. He's speaking to Joseph. Then then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot. In other words, no one's doing business unless you, who are in charge of the economy of this great nation, gives them consent. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, Zapnath Paniah. Joseph's Egyptian name means revealer of secrets, because he had this phenomenal gift to interpret dreams, and he is conqueror. Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. According to the word, Joseph was his father's favorite son. That was Jacob, who had 12 sons. And the father's voice, our heavenly father's voice, boomed over Jesus at the Jordan River. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was rejected by his own brothers. Jesus was rejected by his family. Joseph was thrown into a pit and left for dead. Jesus was placed in a tomb, already dead. Joseph was lifted out of the pit and went to the palace and sat at the right hand of the king. Jesus was lifted up out of the tomb and is seated at the right hand of the father. Joseph was given a new name, revealer of secrets, conqueror. Jesus is given a name above all other names. 
When Joseph was revealed to his brothers, each of them bowed before him. There's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Joseph is a type of Christ. He's also a type of the follower of Jesus as a conqueror. The story of Joseph is told through the coats that he wore throughout his life. Joseph wore the coat of many colors, the coat of salvation. Joseph wore the coat of godly character, the coat he left in the hand of the woman who desired an adulterous affair with him. Then Joseph wore the coat of the Pharaoh who placed it on him. It's the coat of the overcomer. And that's how God wants us to walk with him in those three stages of development. God desires his children be overcomers no matter what obstacles we ever face in life. And we will all face some. There's that coat of salvation. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a tunic of many colors. Now the coat was a gift from Jacob. Joseph didn't pay for it nor provide any fabric for it, never sewed to put it together. Joseph didn't contribute in any way to that coat. The coat was a free gift from his father to the son. The coat is a clear picture of our salvation. Because 21 times in the New Testament, the word calls our salvation the gift of God. And no one here will ever stand before God and say, look what Jesus and I did. If you can produce 1% of your salvation, it nullifies the work of the cross. For, for God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So God doesn't forgive us because we deserve it or because we've earned it. But God, for the sake of his son, has forgiven us. Everything we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. So when Lot was in Sodom, the word says, God remembered Abraham and spared Lot. When God opened the heavens and rained down hell on Sodom, when judgment was falling, the only reason God spared Lot, he had a praying relative, and God spared Lot because of Abraham. That's our testimony. The only reason we're born again and redeemed We have a praying friend, an advocate in heaven, an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Christ. And because of Jesus, the Father will remember me. He will transport us one day out of this world into heaven, transfigure us into the image of his son, Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, I have a gift from the Father. I'm wearing it today. It's called the coat of salvation. I didn't earn it. It's a free gift. And what you have to do is receive it. Take it. The coat of many colors was skillfully pieced together by the hands of the father. Jacob made that coat for his son. Our father put it together from the beginning. Our redemption is not an accident. The cross was not an afterthought. Before there appeared a sinner on earth, there was a savior in heaven the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I see the hand of the Father working to piece together the plan for our salvation. During specific meetings that were being held in a community, the minister that was directing those services 
heard from a man in the audience who wanted to share his testimony. And so this man stood to tell how he had been estranged from his wife and his family. What a failure he had become in life. He had sunken into the depths of sin. He'd become an alcoholic. He was living in the streets as a homeless man. He said, one day someone located me to tell me to hurry to my house because one of my children, my son, was dying. So I said, I went back to the apartment where my wife was raising the children because I had abandoned them. And in that day, he said, it was the kind of a day when doctors still made house calls. He said, the doctor met me at the door and told me, there's nothing else I can do for your boy. He's dying. So the man said, I walked over to my son, and my son opened his eyes. And he reached up, and he grabbed me around the neck and pulled me down to him. And he said to me, Dad, make me a promise that you will meet me in heaven. And the man said, I didn't answer him, but he pulled my neck even tighter And he said, Dad, promise me we'll meet together in heaven. He said, in seconds, the angels of the Lord came and carried my boy to heaven. He said, and I fell to the floor, and I began to repent. And I began to call on the Lord. He said, I called on the name of the Lord, and I was born again. And my life was changed, and I've become a child of God. And the man was testifying at this special revival meeting. He said, and since that day that I called to the Lord, I have felt a hand pulling me heavenward. And that's our testimony. Once we've been born again, there's a hand that is pulling us heavenward. That's the hand that measured the heights of the mountains, the hand that created the oceans, the plant life, the animal kingdom, the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's the same hand that brought three million Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. He provided them 26,000 tons of food every day to eat. He provided water from a rock. His hand preserved their shoes and their clothes for 40 years in the desert. And out of that people, you see, came the hand of God directing the birth of our Messiah, Jesus the Christ. His hand rocked the cradle in Bethlehem. His hand saw to it that God took on human flesh. That hand on earth reached down and created mud out of his own saliva and restored sight to the blind man. That hand raised the son of a widow from the dead. That hand touched and healed the unclean lepers. That hand stooped down and wrote a love letter in the sand, extending forgiveness to an adulteress. Go and sin no more. His hand is curled around a spike on a cross at Calvary, nailed to the cross for your sin and my sin. His hands stretched out that cry, it's finished. Not a cry of loss, but a cry of gain and of victory and the completion of God's plan. His hand provided our salvation. It's not something we did. It's something he did as our free gift. Charles Wesley reminds us about his hand. And he penned these words. Before the throne my lawyer stands. My name is written within his hand. Watch this. Isaiah records, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. As our attorney stands before God, pleading our case, Jesus has our names written in his hands. 
So my coat of salvation was pieced together. It was a gift from my father, and the coat is full length, and it's long-sleeved. It's a coat of total coverage. The coat that saved Joseph was bloodstained with the blood of a goat. Our coat of salvation is also bloodstained. It's stained by the blood of the Lamb. And once you abandon the blood of Jesus in Scripture, we've got nothing but a history lesson. If you take the blood of Jesus out of the church, it's nothing but a fellowship club. If you take the blood out of the preaching of the gospel, we stand condemned on our way to hell. How do we overcome? They overcame him, that is the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I'm thankful for my blood-dipped coat of salvation. Then there's that coat of godly character. Potiphar had a young, beautiful wife. Potiphar was the chief prison warden in all of Egypt. He was in the cabinet of the pharaoh over the prison system. His wife was lonely, bored, and spoiled because Potiphar was wealthy, was well-paid. Joseph was handsome. He worked on the property of Potiphar while Potiphar was away working. Joseph was available. He was handsome, sterling character. And Joseph had the power of presence with godly character. And the word says Potiphar's wife set her eyes on him. She was attracted to him. Several times she went after him wanting a physical relationship. Each time Joseph refused her advances. One day when the house was empty, the stage was set. And Potiphar's wife offered him her body. And Joseph said, "Mm mm-mm. Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. That she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. Joseph had said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I can't do this. And Potiphar's wife screamed, rape. He had left his garment in her hand and fled outside. So when Potiphar arrived back, without ever hearing the other side of the story, he had Joseph carted off to prison. It would have been a life sentence. Joseph had to serve about 13 years of that sentence. But God was with Joseph in the prison. And in that prison, Joseph suffered. He was slandered, lied about, hurt, rejected, not guilty of any crime. He was innocent. Every believer has two coats. We all have the coat of salvation. God is responsible for that coat. The second coat we possess is the coat of godly character. We are responsible for that coat. The Egyptians never saw Joseph's first coat. They never saw the coat of many colors, the coat of his salvation. But they saw the second coat, the coat of godly character. The world may never see our coat of salvation, but they will see our coat of godly character. And there are two sides of that coin of Christian living. One position is the one we have in Christ. What Jesus did for us because of the cross. There is your condition in Christ. How you respond and what you do in living out that faith. How do you conduct your life? The degree of your conformity to his word. There is imputed righteousness. Jesus having made a withdrawal from the riches of the cross, filling your account with his mercy. 
Then there's practical righteousness. It's you practicing your faith by the lifestyle that you live. No compromises. You let the world see your second coat. Different to make a difference. Choices. Old nature, new nature. I can have sex out of covenant marriage, but I don't because of Christ's character. I could go to a party and use alcohol, use drugs, but I choose not to because Christ is Lord of my life. They may never see my first coat. They will see my second coat, the coat of godly character. Kind of an example, if you were to go out and look for a vehicle to drive, you're going to go out and buy a new car. And your sales rep lets you drive his loaner, his demo. And you drive about three blocks, and the car stalls. And smoke starts pouring out of the hood. And the muffler drags on the ground. And after you're towed back to the dealership, do you think you're going to say, I want to buy one of those? If the demonstrator doesn't work, Nobody wants the product. We are the only demonstration of what a Christian looks like that some people will ever see. And if we keep breaking down, if our homes continue to fail, if they see you face a crisis, but you're still standing, serving God, giving him the glory, they'll want that product. Jesus put it like this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This needs to be lived out. Coming for the coat of my redemption and salvation is only the first step. Putting on the coat of godly character is the process by which I have to get up and live my life every day. Because the question is posed to the church, do we really live what we claim? In the Western culture, that's becoming a more difficult question to answer. Throughout the nations of Africa, with 33,000 people being born again every single day, documented seven days a week, there's no question God is on the move. God is on the move in South America, in many of the cultures. Throughout places in Asia, God is on the move. But there has been no definitive renewal and revival in America for decades. Because we talk about prayer, but are you praying? When we call people together to pray, are you praying? We sing about the lost and arrive at church with empty cars. We say we are standing on his promises, but rarely crack open his word. Instead, we sit on the promises. We talk about the greatest story ever told, but never witness to anybody who's lost in our sphere of influence. We speak of a soon return, but live like he's changed his mind. Calvary Christian Center, we need to demonstrate by our living, Jesus is real, and he's changed us by the power of his word. And Joseph is in the perfect setting to sin. He's young. His basic instinct for intimacy was very powerful at this point in his life. Here comes a woman offering herself to him. If anybody had an excuse to fall, it was Joseph. He was far from home. He'd become a part of the Egyptian culture. Temptation is intensified when not under the scrutiny of those who know us, 
The enemy hit Joseph with the biggest attack when he attacked with the offer of sex with a prominent woman away from his home turf. And this seducing woman was beautiful, and she was persistent. See, God will not kill all the good-looking people so you can stay saved. He's not going to do that, okay? Right? God, God will allow you to be tempted. And most can hold off an attack, but she was persistent. She approached him every day and offered herself. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. The absent husband, it's conveniently off working. Your husband will never know. You can get away with it. Your wife will never know. You can get away with it. That's a lie the enemy always tells people just before they step into the trap. I can promise you after you've been trapped, they're all going to know it. And how did Joseph overcome the temptation? He fled and ran outside. See, the word doesn't tell you to stand there and fight sexual attraction outside of marriage. It says, flee sexual immorality. Run. Don't fight. Vacate the premises. Get away. Because the longer you wait and remain in the wrong place, the weaker you're going to grow. A blind man can beat you anytime. All he has to do is turn off all the lights. He's got you on his turf. And when the enemy gets you on his turf, listen, he has you think about it, pondering it, considering it, while God is saying, get out of there. Get away from it. And Joseph made no provision for his flesh man. And if you feed the flesh one inch today, he'll come looking for a yard tomorrow. And you'll discover you don't control it. It controls you. Sure is quiet in here, huh? Yeah. If you don't deal with temptation, temptation will deal with you. I don't care if you're eight or you're 80. All are the same. Daily we deal with temptation. Dishonest Christians are ashamed to admit they've ever been tempted. So up goes the facade. On comes the mask. But the scripture's clear. St. Paul writes it. No temptation is over, has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of what? Escape that you may be able to bear it. We all battle flesh. And some people think those in full-time ministry, you're exempt. You've got a rose on. You're above all of that stuff. The higher you climb the mountain, the stronger the wind blows. God allows temptation to reveal our weaknesses. Because God's not going to allow any of us to think we are wonderful and godly all on our own. So he allows our weaknesses to surface. We need his grace every single day. And if you would, t- if you would have told David he's going to go and commit adultery... Then he's going to cover it up by getting the husband put on the front lines and killed. No way he would have ever comprehended himself doing something like that. Because after all, he had taken down Goliath. I mean, this is a man after God's own heart. If you had told St. Peter, he's going to deny, you're going to deny Jesus. No way. I will die with Jesus. I'm his homie. There's no way I'm going to betray him. But after the fall, the weakness all now revealed a new dependency upon the Lord. 
and a an humbleness that says, I need the Lord. Be careful, Mr. Wonderful. Failures keep us dependent and humble before God. It's our dependency and our brokenness before God. That's what enables us to find strength to live for the Lord. Our pride is crushed. Thank you, Lord. And why? Why the temptation to reveal our need for watchfulness? A boy was fishing off the rocks by the ocean, and an aberrant wave came quickly in and struck the rock on which he was standing fishing. And he fell into the ocean, and he surfaced finally, and he's gasping in the waves. And an older man nearby saw him and lent him a hand and said, how did you come to fall in? The boy said, I didn't come to fall in. I came to fish, and I fell in while I was fishing. (laughs) Not paying attention will reveal your weaknesses. Don't take your eye off the goal, or the tide of carnality will pull you under. If you're not watchful, you will fall. So you live alert. While Samson slept, he received the most expensive haircut in human history. If we're going to protect our calling, our anointing, our families, our integrity, better stay awake. Watch and pray, Jesus said, lest you enter into what? Temptation. Yeah, you pray, but you also are alert. You cannot afford to come to church with a sleepy spiritual attitude, a spirit that allows you to be bored or dull toward your walk with God. You stay awake. You stay on fire. Listen, you, you, you stoke the fires of passion for God and hunger for God in your life because the enemy, Peter said, from experience, like a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. And temptations allow us to push, push us toward dependence and trust. Too many have self-centered attitudes. I'm a self-made man. Well, really. Be careful lest your success takes you away from your dependency upon God. God was always concerned. He loves prospering his people. But then you hear him under his breath say, And my concern is, every time I prosper you, you forget me. It was a very heavy, obese, actually, man, who happened to be bragging in front of a crowd of people from different generations about his successes. And he he ends his speech, and he says... And now I am a self-made man. The little boy in the crowd looked up at him and said, why did you make yourself like that? (laughs) Heed the word of God. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. There's the other part of that verse. Lord alone let him, no foreign God was with him. That needs to be who we are. But look at the first verse, verse 11 there. It's the flight training manual for earthbound Christians. Because the eaglets are born into a warm nest. It's feathered, and the mother brings them food twice a day. It's a fantastic environment. They're living the good life. She keeps them warm. But she knows that they're not destined and designed to live forever in that nest. They're designed to soar in the skies. The plan, eventually, you're going to get out of the nest. 
So if you have a 40-year-old still living at home, listen up. Pay attention, right? How does she get those eaglets out of the nest? Because they see her soaring, but they don't realize it's now their day to learn to fly. They've been warm. They've been fed and protected. They've been playing video games on their smartphones all day. What a life. Mother Eagle then begins to pull the feathers out of the nest and toss them over the sides until the thorns surrounding that nest begin to poke and prod the eaglets. And then she flaps her wings and pushes them out. And they're falling out of the nest. And they think they're about to die as the jagged rocks rush up from beneath them. And just before they hit bottom, she swoops down and picks them up. They're relieved. (sighs) But then she does it again. And some eaglets learn this lesson, how to fly in two or three sessions. On the other hand, some eaglets take 30 drops before they get it. And they realize something more is expected of them. Because their greatest trial was ordained by the one who loves them the most. In order to produce the greatest triumph in their lives. They recognize that their bodies are designed like hers. If she can fly, we can fly. So they soar. Your pastor loves to soar. Yeah. Yeah. You want to watch me fly? How many want to watch me fly? Watch. Never too old to learn to fly. Watch. Anybody want to join me doing this? I love it. How about that? Even the Navy SEAL was impressed with that. He thought that was cool. Yeah. We ask God to deliver us. But he says, no, I will develop you. Adversity develops and matures us. We pray to get out, but God says, no, I'm going to take you through. But when you come through this, you will have learned to fly. And you will know that God has been your source. Because Jesus made it clear, without me, you can do nothing. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And then these temptations are allowed to teach us to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. And if you do a post-mortem over the greatest defeats in your life, here's what you're always going to discover every single time. You won't need NCIS to come and decipher it for us, right? A broken altar, a closed Bible, and little communion with God. Every single time, it's the setup for failure. When we rebuild that altar and we come humbly to it, bowing before the Lord, and we restore the word of God in our lives daily, then we see how weak become strong. Because as we cannot improve on the four wheels and tires that are on your vehicles out in the parking lot, you just ride on them every single day to and fro. You cannot improve on prayer and you cannot improve on the word of God. Just do it. Read it and pray and the weak become strong. If you want to become victorious, where once you suffered a defeat, starve the flesh, feed the spirit, a daily diet of prayer and the word of God. 
The man who went to his pastor one day and said, since I've become a Christian, I feel like I have two dogs inside of me fighting constantly. And the pastor asked, which one is winning? The dog I feed the most wins the fight. If you starve the big dog of your carnal nature and you feed the new spirit nature with prayer and the word of God, you will walk in victory. And there's nothing sweeter than victory. Got victory over that. Yes, I'd love to be on a team that wins. How about you? It requires 150 degrees to make tin. It requires 500 degrees to make brass. It takes 1,130 degrees to make silver. It takes 1,400 degrees to make gold. Do you want to be a tin Christian or do you want to be a gold Christian? If you want to be a gold follower of Jesus, God will keep turning up the heat. And as all the junk rises to the top, he skims all the stuff off the top so he can see his reflection. And you begin to love like Jesus and live like Jesus and lead like Jesus because he sees himself reflected in your life. And that brings you then when you've gone through process to the coat of the overcomer. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off of his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. What did Joseph have to overcome? Why did he get to wear the robe of the overcomer, the fulfillment of the dreams that he had in his life? He had to overcome the hatred of his own brothers. Unforgiveness toward his family members. To overcome temptation when it was facing him every day. To overcome slander being accused of something and called something he wasn't, to overcome false imprisonment, to have to spend 13 years of his life every day for a crime he never committed, to overcome disappointment. I'm sure there were days when he wondered, when will this dream ever be fulfilled? Is there any hope it'll ever come to pass? And he had gotten the butler out of prison, but the butler forgot all about Joseph for several years more. And then to overcome, because of that, a desire for revenge. You know you have forgiven someone when you have the power to hurt them, but you don't. When you could get revenge, take revenge, but you don't. There's a reward for the overcomer who gets to wear this robe. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Everything that belongs to God is in your inheritance when you're an overcomer. You face off with some of those tests and some of those battles developing your character. And finally, when you let go of some of those weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong, you become the winner. And here are some of the blessings reserved for those who overcome. In the final book of the Bible, God makes these promises to the overcomers. To him who overcomes gets to sit on the throne with Jesus. Imagine that moment. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. 
I will be his God, and he will be my people. I will call out his name before my Father, to him who overcomes. I will give the crown of life. Anybody here tired of being defeated? Anybody here not like it when the enemy rolls right over you? Are you losing the battle with immorality or drugs or bitterness or unforgiveness or lying or cheating? Because, you know, we want to make this sin worse than this sin. And he did this 10 years ago and she did this three weeks ago. Listen to me. It's all sin. It's just all sin. Are you winning or losing this battle? And instead of trying to do this in your own strength, are you willing to hand over your weaknesses to Jesus? For when I am weak, then I'm strong. What does that mean? I admit to him. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I've got to depend totally on you. That brings a smile to your father. When he hears you say, I'm dependent on you. Anybody here want victory? Anybody here want Jesus, the one who gave you the coat of redemption, and allowed you to battle with the coat of character? Want Jesus to put on you the coat of an overcomer? And look you in the eye and say, you are an Anybody here want that? I'm looking forward to that. Stand to your feet. And let's be reverent. Even with our eyes closed, let's just be reverent. Right? Not moving around a lot.